0: This week on Blue 58, we wonder about catastrophic injuries along the offensive line, take a quick look ahead to next year's potential free agent crop, and try to figure out if it matters at all who punts for the Packers. Finally, we rank our top 10 most valuable Packers players on the roster right now who's in, who's out, and who's properly rated. Blue 58! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of the Power Sweep. We are powered this week, as we are every week, by WTMJ Mobile. I am your host, John Meerdink joined today by co-host Gary Zilvey. Gary, how are we doing?
1: It's a great day to be great, John. Glad to be here.
0: It, I am glad you're here as well, and it's a great day for some headlines, so let's dive right in. Starting with a little bit of a perhaps unfortunate situation, at least it could be, the question on the blog this week what happens with the Packers if David Bakhtiari gets hurt? Hasn't missed many games during his time with the Packers. Uh, just two starts over the course of his soon-to-be five-year career. But the two that he did miss turned out to be pretty ugly. They had to start Don Barkley at left tackle, which went very poorly against the, Atlanta, or the Arizona Cardinals. Not the Atlanta Cardinals. Then they had to start Josh Sitton at left tackle against the Minnesota Vikings. And that's hard to even say with a straight face because that just turned out almost as bad as having Don Barclay there. The point is that when Bakhtiari went down, things went badly for the Packers, and I don't think they're particularly well prepared for another situation like that, barring a couple uh, unusual developments between now and hopefully that never happening. Gary, are you as concerned about depth at tackle as I am?
1: No, I'm not, John. And our biggest difference here is surrounding second-year tackle Jason Spriggs. The Packers traded up for Spriggs last year in the second round, and to put it plainly, he struggled in his first year. When you watch Spriggs line up last year, in my opinion, he looked like a young player. He's got some room to grow physically, and he likely struggled with the transition from Big Ten defenders to the NFL. There's not a lot to write home about behind Spriggs, and that's where I tend to agree with you in this commentary on Bakhtiari's and and the Packers tackle at depth. It's certainly a problem that they need to develop some guys behind Spriggs. But my question to you, John, is is how many other teams out there are loaded with starting quality or, or replacement caliber offensive linemen, specifically at tackle in their second and third string?
0: Well, not a lot, but I think the the real issue here is, first, how good Bakhtiari is, and second, how big a drop-off it is to anybody behind him. I'm not saying that other teams out there have these quality you know, backup left tackles that they could just insert if something happens to their starting left tackle, but it does concern me a little bit what we saw from Spriggs last year. He doesn't play with a lot of strength, uh, and his technique isn't there as a player yet either. Now, I will add that we don't have anything on Spriggs other than what we saw of him in college and in very limited appearances last year in the preseason, and mostly as a guard uh, in the regular season. So I will admit all in my argument, if there is a significant one, is, is that uh, Jason Spriggs, the second-year player, is probably significantly different from Jason Spriggs, the first-year player. I, I still think it is worth being concerned about Bakhtiari, but uh, I will concede that that Spriggs. Um, could play a bigger part in this issue uh, if it does come to that. Speaking of the offensive line, the Packers are set to lose a couple free agents there next year if they decide to stand pat, and that's not the only thing. There are a number of quality free agents coming up next year. Uh, here are some names for you Devontae Adams, Morgan Burnett, Corey Lindsley, Lane Taylor, all starters, and there are more of them as well. Gary, you took a look at this this week. If you had to pick one guy who's due for a new deal next offseason, who would you take?
1: Give me center Corey Lindsley, and it's not very close. I got two reasons for you why. First, the Packers are going to have three likely starters on their offensive line hit free agency next offseason Lindsley. And then the two guards, Jari Evans and Lane Taylor. Of those three, based on the talent that the Packers have on their roster right now, Lindsley is the hardest to replace. And that's really my second reason. The Packers, you know, we talked about the depth of tackle just now. I think they have even less at center. Try to name the backup center on the Packers. And I'm not talking to you, John, because you're like Rain Man, you know everybody on the Packers. I'll wait it's hard to know who the backup center is. Um, Now the flip side of, of, of why Lindsley might not be the choice there is because the Packers have refused to pay top dollar to the last three centers that they've uh, that, that, that that have been young and in a hit free agency. You've got Scott Wells uh, before the 2012 season. He signed with the St. Louis Rams, Evan Diedrich Smith, uh, now goes by Evan Smith left before the 2014 season for the Buccaneers. And then this past off season, you had uh JC Treader leave to sign with the Cleveland Browns. So will the Packers finally open up the bank for Lindsley? I'd like to see him do it, but time will only tell.
0: I think I agree with you on uh, who I would take as the, the first free agent off the board. I think the big three obviously are Lindsley, Devonte Adams and Morgan Burnett. And I'd probably go in that order because like you, I think uh, that Lindsley would be the most difficult one to replace. Now, it's worth considering that he is significantly younger than both Evan Dietrich Smith and Scott Wells when they left the Packers. Uh, Smith just finished up his age 27 season when he headed off for the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Scott Wells played his age 30 season with the Packers before he headed off uh, to join the then St. Louis Rams, where he played three seasons and only played all 16 games in one season, for what it's worth. Lindsley, on the other hand, is sh- still in his early 20s, and he'll be up for his second contract before he's approaching uh, the age of Wells. He'll be older than Dietrich Smith was, or Evan Smith, as he's now called, as you pointed out. Uh, but I think he's he's very worth retaining. And Gary, I don't know what you think about this, but I think receivers actually easier to replace uh, than guys like Corey Lindsley, who can play center at a high level.
1: I'm going to disagree with you, John, but only a slight disagreement. When we looked at the draft data uh, this past offseason and and looked at, you know, the the centers in the league that have 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 been have done a good job. It really has been, you know, if you draft a center in the first round to the seventh round, you can get about the same quality anywhere in the draft. And, you know, Diedrich Smith, Scott Wells was a seventh rounder. J.C. Treader was a, a fourth rounder. Um, you know, Lindsley himself, a fifth rounder, there, there's not a lot of, I don't think you need to spend a high draft pick on a center. You just can't miss on it. If you're going to let Lindsley go, you got to get one next off season and, and you can't screw up on it. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll take center as an ease as a easier position to replace than wide receiver. Um, but, but I, again, I'm using my biases of, of Ted Thompson, just being able to throw a second round pick into the, into the draft and get a stud wide receiver year after year.
0: You know, fair enough, but I think we can both agree that punter much easier to replace than either of those positions. And the Packers are certainly adopting that f- philosophy. Jacob Shum out. Justin Vogel in. The Packers cut their punter from last year due to an injury during some offseason training. Now, Justin Vogel looks like the odds on favorite to win the job outright. This means the Packers are going to likely have their third different punter in three years. Gary, are punters just replaceable parts, or is there something noteworthy about Vogel?
1: John, I think Vogel is intriguing, but it's hard to know how his game is gonna to translate to the NFL. He started his college career at the University of Florida, transferred to Miami, and spent three years as the team's starting punter. His average per punt is pretty much identical to where Jacob Shelm's career average is in the NFL. However, uh, just a fun fact about Justin Vogel, Uh, his parents might have been the best genetic combination I've ever seen for a punter. His dad was a tough linebacker for those great South Carolina teams in the 80s, and his mom was a classical ballerina. I mean, could you balance a tougher, more flexible, kind of on your toes? If you could go into a lab and build a punter, I I think that's how I'd do it.
0: That combination reminds me of the first time that they put in some kind of career mode on Madden, you didn't get to like work to improve your attributes. You just had to pick randomly generated sets of parents and try to hope for one that was good for the position that you were hoping to play. You, it would be things almost exactly like that. They would say something like, "Your mom was a," uh, I said, "Your mom was a linebacker. Your dad was a linebacker, and your mom was a ballerina." And you just had to hope that meant that you were good at something that would make you a a successful Madden player. I would spend hours. Randomly generating parents, just hoping to get the best possible conver- uh, combination.
1: That frustrates me. Madden, you, let let's let's put that feature in, but let's not make the game actually you know playable.
0: Ah, uh, man, I I'm really spoiled with Madden. I we have to go on a, a Madden tangent. Maybe we'll talk about this more in depth someday. But I'm back on the Madden bandwagon. This is the first year I've bought it since 2011, and it's it's actually good. It, it's weird. That sounds like a really backhanded compliment, but it, it's really, really good, and it's really entertaining to play. I'm having a lot of fun with it.
1: We're going to have a Madden episode here soon. I we, love
0: it. We'll figure out a way to do it. But Justin Vogel, the punter, I think there's a good chance that he sticks as the starting punter between now and training camp. It's going to come down to to directional kicking and whether Mason Crosby feels comfortable with him. That's why the Packers cut Tim Maste last year is they couldn't get him to kick directionally consistently enough. And that's why Sean was brought in. That was his calling card, and it kept him in Green Bay for the whole season. If Vogel can do that, I think he's the starting guy. My secondary question about him, Gary, is do you think they'll let him keep the number five into the regular season?
1: Man, I, 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 I see it. I don't think so. I think Paul Horning, I mean, that is that is a hard number to to try to wear. And I'm not sure punter is the position that you want to uh, break the, the trend of because of, I think Mikowski was the last guy to wear five.
0: Yes, uh, no, actually, somebody wore it in 1988. I, I did a piece on it. Mikowski wore it briefly in 1987 for just a couple games, did the odd maneuver of switching in season. So someone else wore it that same year, and then another guy had it for a couple games in 1988, but then nobody has worn it since. Uh, there's a piece actually up about that at thepowersweep.com right now. I was interested doing that piece to learn that everyone at the time, when Vince Lombardi said, as long as I'm in Green Bay, nobody's ever going to wear number five, everybody on the scene at the time understood him as officially retiring that number in the same vein as Tony Canadeo and Don Hudson. At that time, uh, uh, Hornig would have been just the third person to have his jersey retired officially. And uh, when Lombardi said it, everybody understood it to be that same sort of thing. So it's really surprising that the Packers would issue it at all. And we may actually have to reach out to the Packers for further clarification on that. So we'll, we'll have to look at that a little bit in the future before we move on to our main topic today, the top 10 players on the Packers this year, Gary, uh, you have something special for us.
1: I sure do, John and to all of our listeners, let's shoot straight for a second. I want your email address and I want it badly. I want to send you an email every week about the power sweep and let you know what's going on in our site, let you know what we're going to be talking about on blue 58 and just a good way to stay in touch and get your feedback about the site, about what we're doing. That works what we're doing. That's not. Um, So if you aren't a subscriber to our mailing list, it's quite easy. Head on over to www.thepowersweep.com on the right hand side, there's a field to enter your email enter it, hit send, and that's all. You'll get a tasty email from us once a week. We won't sell, we won't ship, we won't share your data to anybody else. We just want to be in touch. We just want to be friends. So head on over to powersweep.com, enter your email in, and we'll see you in your inbox.
0: So this week on the Power Sweep, you may have seen a couple posts relating to this 90-man ranking of the players on the packers the uh, the roster stands at 90 players right now even as the packers make a couple moves at punter along the offensive line it's going to be 90 guys between now uh, and the end of training camp now that the packers or now that the nfl's cutdown rules say that you can go from 90 to 53 all at once we've ranked all 90 players Obviously, there's going to be some movement in the lower parts of that list, but for right now, we want to focus on our top 10. Gary and I have some pretty significant differences here, so we're going to talk a little bit first about who we've got on our list and why they may be a little bit different. So, Gary, why don't you reveal your top 10 first and tell me a little bit first about how you put together your 90-man ranking, specifically the top 10.
1: Absolutely. So, first of all, we both used kind of the idea of valuable. Uh, How valuable is the player to the Packers? And for me, I took it a step further and and ranked these in order of how disappointed or how catastrophic it would be for them to be injured and be out a significant amount of time during the season or in the playoffs. So with that in mind, here's my top 10. I'm going to start from number 10 and go up to number one. Number 10, Clay Matthews. Number nine, Demarius Randall. Number eight, the rookie, Kevin King. Number seven, tackle David Bakhtiari. Number six, Jordy Nelson. Number five, defensive lineman Mike Daniels. Number four, safety Morgan Burnett. Number three, linebacker Nick Perry. Number two, safety HaHa Clinton Dix. And number one, John Kuhn. Just kidding, Aaron Rodgers.
0: I don't think there's going to be any debate over the number one guy on the list because we both have the same one. It is Aaron Rodgers. So I took a little bit of a different tack approaching the top 10 and really the entire 90-man list from you, Gary. I, I kind of looked at it as a cut list. So if the Packers were going to, if they, if they had to eliminate a bunch of players and they wanted to rank them in, in order of uh, least to, or most likely to get cut to least likely to get cut, that's how I constructed the roster from bottom to top. So my top 10 is assuming the 10th player is less likely to get or more likely to get cut than the ninth player, the ninth player less likely or more likely to get cut than the eighth player and so on. So my top 10 from bottom to top, number 10, Nick Perry, number nine, Devonte Adams, number eight, Jordy Nelson, number seven, Martellus Bennett, number six, Morgan Burnett, Number five, Brian Bulaga. Number 4 Haha, ha Clinton Dix. Number three, Mike Daniels. Number two, David Bakhtiari. And number one is Aaron Rodgers. We have some differences, though, between our list. Gary, on my top 10, but not on yours, I have Martellus Bennett, Devontae Adams, and Brian Bulaga. Those three players are 13th, 18th, and 11th on your list. Why did you leave those players out of your top 10?
1: Well, I you know the the one that I find the most interesting that you ranked in your top ten here, John, is is Martellus Bennett. Uh, f- for me, it was hard to justify putting him in the top ten, and and you'll note uh, my list is 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 heavy on defense. I I went with seven defensive players versus three offensive players, while John you had an even fifty fifty split between offense and defense. I, I find it hard to 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 find Martellus Bennett as a, a valuable or or, or highly, certainly he's talented. He's one of the more talented players on the roster, but the Packers did just fine with Richard Rogers, uh, you know, for, for long stretches of, of the last few years. Uh, You know, they were still able to win games. They were still able to be competitive. Um, I I just, I just think it's, it's, there's less margin of error on the defensive side. Um, So that's why, why, why I didn't have Martellus Bennett in, in that uh, top 10 for me.
0: I think the reason I had him in the list and as high as um, I had him on the list was because I think he affects other players more than other players affect him. I think particularly in his relationship to the other receivers, he's kind of going to be the straw that stirs the drink uh, just because of the way that he is going to to use the Mike McCarthy, uh, um, Larry McCarron sort of phrase, tilting the field. Uh, he retracts a lot of attention and he's unique in the Packers offense. They haven't had anything like him in a long time. Even Jared Cook last year doesn't approach I think the the abilities of of Martellus Bennett. I think he's he's going to affect the other players a lot and and I'm interested to to see um what he does and I think he's he's a if if only slightly he is a higher on the list uh, than those other receivers and I think he does belong in the top 10. Uh, you've got some names in the top 10 that I left out entirely. You want to break those down?
1: I, I sure do, John. And, and I think this is where philosophically you'll see a little bit of the difference uh, between our two lists. So I've got three defenders that that you uh, had no higher than 16th on your list. So I had Demarius Randall, the cornerback, number nine. You had him number 21 on your list. Kevin King, the rookie uh, cornerback. I had number eight. And John, you would ranked Kevin King nineteenth, and finally Clay Matthews. Uh, really hard to find Clay Matthews value on this team. Uh, I had him number ten, uh, and and yours sixteenth. So, uh, you know, John, what I want to ask you about this is 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 it seems like I'm a little higher on the value that the Packers' top two cornerbacks, or at least. Who, who's probably going into training camp as the top two cornerbacks uh, than, than you are. And um, you know, is that, is that something that you're concerned about?
0: Um, I wouldn't say concerned about it. I think the reason I had them as low as they did. So I, I wanted to make sure I had them in the top 22 because I think they are as start, I think they are starting caliber importance level players. So I think they should be considered that way. And I also think I put Devon house somewhere in my top 20 as well. Um but I, I didn't put them in the top ten because I think the Packers would rather do without one of these guys, even Clay Matthews, than somebody they have in the top ten. So just comparing the guys I have in my top ten, I think even Nick Perry, the Packers would rather lose Demarius Randall or Kevin King or Clay Matthews for the entire season than one of those or then than one of those guys higher on the list than Nick Perry even. Um it's not to say that those players aren't valuable, but I just think the Packers can afford to do without the players ranked ahead of them less uh, than those players in particular. Clay Matthews is a particularly interesting guy though because I think I think it's really hard to determine what kind of player Clay Matthews is right now. We have some a piece going up if it's not up already on the blog about this, kind of what we're expecting from him in twenty seventeen and I don't want to talk super in depth about the piece. But I think we both agree, Gary, that that Clay Matthews is at a bit of a career crossroads right now.
1: He sure is, John, and and I I wonder if Clay Matthews is the NFL's version of Russell Westbrook in, in the NBA, where his game is based so much on his athleticism that you know the minute his athleticism starts to fail him, it's just over. Um, you know, I, I we saw a couple of times last year where Matthews just wasn't fast enough, and and Carson Wentz was outrunning him. Um, I, I just, I'm, it's going to be really interesting to see how Clay Matthews reinvents himself as the Packers kind of transition into, to his role on the team after 30 years old. He's going to be 31 this year.
0: Already turned 31 last month. In fact, uh, he turned 31 years old. Now his dad and his uncle both played until they were at and above 40 years old. But I think that was an entirely different version of the NFL uh, so it'll be interesting to see how long Clay Matthews can still be an effective NFL player. Now, three players we had pretty significant differences on are David Bakhtiari, Nick Perry, and Jordy Nelson. I had Bakhtiari at number two. You had him at number seven. Uh, why Why do you think the difference is there? Maybe I, I actually should start and, and tell, talk about uh, why I had him so high. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, go for it. Let's hear
0: so it. I had him so high because I think he's the Packers' best offensive lineman, um, and they can do without him less than anyone else. He's the least replaceable player on offense other than than Aaron Rodgers. Um, they don't have any other offensive lineman who approaches his skill level, his technical ability. Brian Bulaga had a great season last year, but I, I think that's more of an outlier than a consistent performance from him, even though he's been great in the past. He's never performed to that level. Bakhtiari has just gotten better and better. And I know you, you know you always want to take pro football focus with a grain of salt, but they thought he was the best pass blocker in the entire NFL last season. That says a lot to me. And uh, I think the Packers would be hard-pressed to replace him at any level or, or even find somebody to fill his spot if he were to go down. Tell me about your number seven rating on him.
1: Yeah, this is probably one, John, that I wish I had back. Um, I I'm not crazy about ranking him seventh, uh, you know, kind of revisiting this list a few days later. Uh, I, you know, I think that, I think that I had him lower. So if you kind of pull out the defensive players, I've got Aaron Rodgers and then Jordy Nelson and then David Bakhtiari, where on, on your side, you've got Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, Martellus Bennett and Jordy Nelson. Uh, I think that it's, it's a coin flip of, of, of a season wrecking injury, uh Jordy Nelson. We certainly saw the impact that that he has on the Packers' offense when he's not healthy, and um and and heaven forbid David Bakhtiari get hurt. I, I think that is a, a as close to a nightmare situation as you'd get on the Packers' offensive line. It sure seems like right now they've got just enough to stay healthy to to be you know a, a high end offensive line. But until training camp comes and the pads come on, I don't know if we're gonna know just how good the depth is at offensive line. So I wish I had this one back. I'd probably put him at four or five, but um, he's at seven, and and that's why.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Nick Perry as well. He's number three on your list, number 10 on mine. I think we both agree that he's a very important player to the Packers this year. Is the height of his ranking on your list due to his contract?
1: It is, John, and it it, it is because I, I think this is a really pivotal year for Nick Perry, I think more so than Clay Matthews, the Packers are expecting Nick Perry to continue to do the little things that, that got him to double-digit sacks last year. I I really question uh, whether, you know, how long of a leash the Packers are going to have on, on Nick Perry um, if if he regresses back to his, his normal, you know, kind of what we saw before last season. I think he's got to play, and he's got to play really well, I think he's an incredibly valuable member. There's not a lot of depth at the pass rusher position. Uh, Nick Perry is 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 probably the guy with the most pressure on him um on the defensive side of the ball.
0: So one thing for Nick Perry uh that I remember we talked pretty in depth about when the Packers signed him to his extension, he is an elite run defender. He's very very good against the run. And that's great to have on your team. But one thing to remember about Nick Perry is the Packers aren't paying him for run defense. You know, it's great to have guys who can stop the run, but the Packers are paying him to get the quarterback. And if he can't do that as consistently as he did last year, that's going to be, head contract is going to become an albatross in a hurry. We should talk about Jordy Nelson a little bit too before we wrap up for today. Uh, we, we had him ranked differently. You have him as the sixth most important player on the 2017 Packers.
1: I did, John, and, and I think Jordy Nelson is is probably entering, if not the last season, very close to it of, of him being a true difference maker on the Packers. I think if you, you take a step back and you think about Donald Driver's time with the Packers, there was a time where he entered the season as the Packers' number one receiver and was overtaken by the other uh, receivers during the year. And I wonder if we're going to see a little bit of that this year. Um, I do find him to be an incredibly valuable member of this team, and I wouldn't want him to get injured. Uh, I think he's at 31. His game is going to age really well, much like drivers. It's uh, He's got really good hands, and he's his game has never really been on speed and running past someone. Uh, and, and his ability to play well with Aaron Rodgers is something that – is just incredibly valuable to the Packers, so I think in 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 our rankings, what I found interesting, John, and and you touched on it earlier, was putting Martellus Bennett ahead of Jordy Nelson, and I guess I'm curious, John how you see the split on offense you know as far as who Aaron Rodgers is targeting those passes to Martellus Bennett have to come from somewhere what's going to decline next year on the Packers offense
0: well i don't think it's a it's a matter of decline in or in terms of who's getting what, in terms of target, I just think it's a change philosophically in how the Packers' offense is built. So dating back to about 2014, the Packers really built their receiving core from the outside in. They wanted receivers on the outside who could get separation deep, those big physical guys. That's why they drafted Devontae Adams, uh, because he could he could separate at the point of attack. Uh, the tremendous vertical and wingspan that he has makes him an outside receiver, Uh, the fact that he's turned into a very good route runner was kind of uh, icing on the cake for the Packers. Jordy Nelson was a big part of that. You see how he played in 2014. That's a classic vertical passing wide receiver, a downfield threat, a, a field stretcher, whatever you want to use. Now, as Nelson has been kind of seeing a reduction in his speed, both due to age and that ACL injury, the Packers have sort of transitioned their offense to building from the from the inside out rather than going from the outside in. So you've seen Jordy Nelson move more into the slot. You've seen the Packers pursue these bigger uh, tight ends who can attack the middle of the field. And I think that's why I have Bennett um, slightly higher on the list than Jordy Nelson, just because of that, that philosophical difference. Does that make sense? Am I explaining myself?
1: I think that's a really good analogy, John, to talk about the difference between the Packers' offense being outside in and inside out, uh, you know, you think about that that great twenty eleven offense. Uh, that certainly was outside in. Uh, you had your Michael Finley, but really, you know, you talk about Greg Jennings, uh, Ravel Martin. Um, <laughs> I love that Ravel Martin was the second wide receiver. I thought of, uh, but but I, I think you're right, John. I, and I'm I'm interested to see how this offense starts to look in the beginning of next season. A couple people
0: have actually written about this. On on other sites, uh, the Ringer has a great piece about how offenses are changing to adapt to defenses. And Michael Cohen actually almost piggybacking off of something that we wrote a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about how bigger defenders are are going the way of the dinosaur. So I see. I think that's why you see the Packers transitioning away from players like Jake Ryan and Blake Martinez. Not those players specifically, but players kind of built in that mode or mold, the the big, strong, physical inside linebacker defenses teams don't want that anymore. They want the the sleek, modern, fast inside linebacker who can play on passing downs and contribute on on run downs if you need him to. Offenses are responding by going big. Uh they're getting big on the inside and and that's where guys like Martellus Bennett come into play and I think that that's a big boon for the Packers here in 2017. Hey, why well, I got you here, Gary? Uh, We talked a little bit about Clay Matthews and particularly his father. I noticed something interesting about about the Matthews family, though, earlier today. Did you know that Clay Matthews Jr., so Clay Matthews on the Packers right now, his dad, actually played against Brett Favre twice in his career, as did Clay Matthews III, who actually played against him more than twice, but in his first season in the NFL, Matthews III played against Brett Favre, then a member of the Minnesota Vikings, two times and lost twice, or lost both times, as did Clay Matthews Jr., who played against Favre as a member of the Packers in 1994 and then again in the playoffs during the 1995 season, losing both times. That says a lot about both the Matthews family and about Brett Favre. Time is weird.
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing about Brett Favre. Brett Favre.
0: It sure would be something to see him lace it up one more time,
1: wouldn't it? Ooh, the old gunslinger. That's a really interesting fact, John. Look at you digging up nuggets.
0: Digging up all those nuggets. Gary, I think that's about a show for this week.
1: It sure is, John. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Blue 58, we'd sure love to stay in touch with you. You can go ahead and follow us on the World Wide Web at www.thepowersweep.com. You can also check out our Facebook page. We are at The Power Sweep. Follow us on Twitter at ThePowerSweep or send us a good old-fashioned electronic email, ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All of your feedback helps John and I make The Power Sweep and Blue 58 better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans.
0: And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillavy, I am John Meerdink. We'll see you next week on Blue 58.